right, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing well on this fine Mother's Day? What beautiful weather. We ordered that for all you mothers, and it came through. We were worried about uh, getting delivered in time, but it got here, so it's all good. You know, while before I go into the message, I don't know if you guys noticed while Pastor Gabe was doing the announcements, you could hear through the wall our youth worshiping in there. Guys, that's what, in the midst of all this the STEM school shooting and all the things that we see going on, the, the suicide rates and issues and things that we have with our young people, that's what it ought to be about, sitting in there worshiping. Every now and then, Pastor Craig will come in and he'll go, Did, were we too loud? Did you hear us through the wall? And I'm going, yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Because to know that we have a room full of youth on the other side of there who are worshiping Jesus with all their heart and they're singing and they're gathering together and, they, and, and Pastor Craig will teach them and they have an understanding of who Jesus is. If we had more of our children that were, that were raised in that and were comfortable in that and felt included in that kind of a group, what a difference would that make in the world? So I love it. I just, I notice that every time and my heart just soars. I'm like, we, we facilitate that as a body, that kind of thing happening amongst our youth. And it's, it's so incredible. Um, hey, I was going to, I was going to take a moment and, and pray for the students and the families and those people that were affected by all the things that happened over at the STEM school. But Pastor Jack did such a wonderful job in that, that uh, I'm not going to redo that right now, but just know this message ties into that issue so well. Um, And I don't think it was an accident. I don't think it was an accident. God knew all this long ago when he gave the Apostle Paul the, the, the Holy Spirit to write the letter to the Romans. He knew the things we were going to be going through this day and every day in between and the things that we'll continue to go through. And it's important to know when you listen to a message like this, as we're talking about the last day and basically wrapping up the whole book of Romans, listen to this in context of what we go through today and take heart that we have a God who knows everything. He has always foreknown what was going to happen and how it was going to happen and what roles people were going to play and what they would and they, and they wouldn't do. And he knew all the way back then, and when we read scripture like this, we can say, God has always known. None of this is a surprise to him. He's always known, and he's always made a way for us to overcome things like we see going on in the world today. So take heart in that as I go through this. So we are, for those of you who haven't been here for a while, we are in the book of Romans. More accurately, we're wrapping up the book of Romans. We've been in it for 17 weeks. This is week 18, so 18 weeks now. We've been going through the book of Romans, essentially chapter by chapter. There is so much theology there, especially in the first 11 chapters. The Apostle Paul, now again, just to catch up those who maybe haven't been here for a while, he's writing this letter. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. This church is, is doing well. Uh, they've started, and out of, out of Pentecost they started, and they've been doing very, very well. But there's starting to be a little bit of issues and some kind of, like they're not all on the same page. And so Paul, he wants to go there and actually talk to them and say, okay, let's, here's how we should be doing this. He can't get there, so he writes this letter. He writes this letter, this epistle in churches, epistle 
that we call the book of Romans. So he writes that to them to get them on the same page. Now, if you've been coming for a while, um, you've seen us as we've gone through all these chapters. Now, chapter 1 through chapter 11 essentially is really in-depth theology. This is the Apostle Paul talking about, uh, about the covenant, that, that the Abrahamic covenant that God uh, gave Abraham for his people, which would become the nation of Israel. He had... Um, he talked about the elect and the chosen and, and um, grafting the Gentiles into this covenant. He's gone on and on to explain all these things, and he's really gone well out of his way. It seems like he repeats things over and over again because he wants them to understand. He says, hey, salvation is a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not anything that you did. It's not anything you did to earn it, nor could you earn it if you, if you tried. But more importantly, you don't have to earn it. It's a gift by God's grace only. And because it's a gift that literally, quite literally, saves us from destruction, Paul says we ought to live our lives every single day, every single moment, live our lives on purpose, just like somebody who has received a pardon from a death sentence. Because that's what we all have. And through faith and salvation in Jesus Christ, we have received that pardon, and we ought to live our lives like every day, every moment matters. This is what Paul is going through. So once he gets up to that point, we go into what starts with what we call chapter 12, and he starts saying, now that you know these things, now that we're all on the same page as far as that goes, nobody's better than anybody else, nobody earned it or has more of a right to be here than anybody else, now that we know this, let's march forward together. Let's do this and live this Christian life together. And this is where he is. So we get to chapter 12. I'm gonna kind of re recap chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, leading up to where we are. So chapter 12 this is Paul's basic instruction in chapter 12. This happens to be verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so he's just spent all this time telling everybody how we're all on the same page. Salvation is a gift through faith in Christ. You didn't earn it. Nobody's better than anybody else. And then he says, okay, now do not be overcome by evil. What does that mean? in context of what he's been teaching. Well, it's a segue into what, the, what he teaches in the rest of the, of the letter, and he goes into then chapter 13. This happens to be verse eight. This is where we see Paul, and he does this from time to time. You see this in a lot of, of scripture where something will lead off with the word therefore, or so that, or now that. And what those are, those are transitions. And anytime you see that, especially when it's the word therefore. You have to think in your mind, okay, everything that he's been talking about up to this point leads up to this. Therefore, and he talks about this. So Romans 13, chapter eight, his therefore is this. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So that's his therefore, like everything that I've taught you up to this point leads up to that. Then he puts a little bit of finer point on it in chapter 14. 
Chapter 14, Pastor Gabe taught this a couple weeks ago, says, yes, this is uh, verse 12 in chapter 14. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. And then last week, last week, chapter 15. Okay, again, he, he continues to restate these things in, in slightly different ways, but chapter 15 before he wraps it up this time, he goes one step further. He says, okay, it's, it's great that you know these things, that you understand these things, that your heart is in the right place, that you're, that you're not judging one another, but I want you to go one step further. I want you to go one step further and serve one another. It's not enough to just mind your own business. You need to serve one another. And what he says in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, just leading out verse 15, uh, uh, chapter 15, he says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now, if you remember when I taught on that or if you weren't here, what he's saying is that we're not just simply supposed to tolerate those who are different than us, those of weaker faith than us. We're not just supposed to tolerate them and let them exist. Our job as Christians is to bear their burdens, now get this, as if they were our own. That is a whole step further. We are to bear one another's burdens as if they are our own. This is boils down to what Paul has been teaching this entire epistle up to this point. So now let's transition into chapter 16. Chapter 16, kind of his conclusion, really his big therefore to the whole letter, if you will. And he really crystallizes things very, very well. So when we start out chapter 16, if you'll read it, and I'm not going to go into this part because there's so much to teach in this chapter. But verses uh, basically 1 through 16 Paul is essentially doing an introduction. He says, I commend to you Sister Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila, and he goes on and he lists all these names of people that he's introducing to the church in Rome. And basically he's doing this knowing that this church in Rome is about to explode. They're gonna be powerful. Okay, maybe second only to Jerusalem at the time in terms of their, of their overall power and especially their reach. Okay, Rome is the capital of, of everything at that point, right? And he knows this church is about to be extremely powerful. And so he introduces all these different missionaries, if you will, to the church by way of saying, these people have my endorsement and they're gonna need your help. They're going to come to you for support. They're going to come to you for help. They need your prayer, and you need theirs, frankly. So he spends all this time basically introducing them, and then, and then he gets to what, again, to use this term, his therefore to the entire book of Romans. And here's what it is. This is Romans 16, verses 17 through 19. Paul says this, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. 
For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So if you remember the first, the first chunk of this book, Paul, in fact, he continues to tell them, he says, hey, I don't want you to think you're any better than these people, any better than this. None of us are better. This is all through grace, uh, grace of our Lord, and, and faith in Jesus is the reason you've got this. But he's writing this to them. Again, they're, they're not theologically out of bounds here. They're not so terribly fighting that it's just mess and a chaos. They're doing pretty well theologically. They have an understanding of who Christ is. They have an understanding of the resurrection, things like this. They have that understanding. And he's saying, okay, understanding that that's our baseline, an understanding of who that is, what's going to interfere with that? What's going to interfere with us moving together as a body and truly spreading this gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the entire world are those wolves in sheep's clothing who are going to get into your midst and who are going to spread false gospel. They're going to spread dissension. They are going to be the opposite of what Jesus called us to be, and that's going to do more damage than just about anything else. This is where he is, and this is why he teaches it like this. So, to boil down the book of Romans so far, okay, with one of my famous uh, paraphrases, okay, famous in my own mind. In my own mind, people are hanging on, on these words. I'm going to take the entire book of Romans, I'm going to boil it down into just a few sentences. Paul says, again, my paraphrase, we are in a battle every day between what we know is right and what the flesh wants. So don't let the devil win. Spoil his plans by loving one another instead of judging. Live your life to glorify God by following Jesus' example of putting others before yourself. And be on the watch for those who would cause dissension in the ranks with their smooth talk. That's essentially this entire thing. And if you think Paul's writing this letter to them, and this is what it boils down to. Love one another and don't let anybody mess that up. Easier said than done, which is why he takes an entire letter to go into laying the baseline for that. Now, as I've taught before, and if you don't know it, any, any one of these epistles, these letters that we see throughout the Bible, are written to a specific person or people group for a specific time and place and reason. So if you go back and you do your exegesis, you do your study on it, you can see Paul wrote this letter to these people. This is what they were going through at the time. He knew that they would need to hear these things, or at least the Holy Spirit knew it, and spoke through Paul to transmit to this church in Rome what they needed to hear at the time. That's what an epistle is, and through through the amazing way that, that God works and his foreknowledge of everything that will ever happen, he knew that some 2,000 years later, we were going to need to hear the same things. We are going to be going through the same things. But I want to ask you this question. Imagine that you're the Apostle Paul, or you're the Apostle fill-in-the-blank, whatever your name is, and you're writing a letter today to the church in Highlands Ranch. Not this church, the whole city. You're writing a letter to the church in Highlands Ranch today and you're gonna give them encouragement and you're gonna give them guidance 
and you're going to tell them how to deal with the things that we're going through here today, what would you tell them? What would you tell them? Anybody willing to be brave? Nobody? It's all right. Everybody's like, I don't know. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. What's that? What's that? Keep the faith, stay strong, love one another. Maybe it'd be something like this in Galatians 6.2. Maybe it'd be something like this that you'd write to them. I think I have it. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Maybe it'd be that. Maybe it'd be something like this, Romans 15.7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. I'd write something like that. All of these are great answers. But that's the kind of thing that's needed. When we start looking at events like happened last week at the STEM school, that happened for many reasons that we can point to, and we could debate the reasons over and over and ad nauseum like they're already doing People are, are throwing out all these ideas based on little clips that they see on Facebook or on the news. They have already judged the two students who committed this act. They've already judged them. And not only have they judged them, but they know why they did it. What they would have done different had they been the parents. What the school could have, should have done differently to stop it from happening. Most of us, to one point or another, me included, have taken those steps based on the faintest understanding. Maybe the step you took was just simply based on an image of the person that you saw. They've been very good. They haven't glorified the, the, the perpetrators of this thing by putting their picture all over the place, which is great. But in the one little snippet that I saw of the two students that did this, I immediately started going, oh, I know what happened here. How many of us have done that? But let me ask you, would any laws, would stricter gun laws have stopped that? Now, we're not here to debate all those things, so I understand people's views are all over the place. Would stricter gun laws have, caused, have helped that? have stopped it? Would metal detectors at all the entrances and exits have stopped it? Would harsher penalties have stopped it? And more importantly, would any law devised by man fully stop something like this? Now, it may have, may have changed it, may have changed the way things happened, may have looked differently, but it comes from the heart. It comes from the devil himself, taking our experiences, taking our hurts, taking our rejections, taking the judgment that we have felt, 
taking the fact that we don't feel like we belong. We're being judged by the very people who are sent here supposedly to love us and accept us. We're being judged by that, and the devil uses that to whisper in their ear and say, you know, there's a way. There's a way you can get back at all these hypocrites. This is how things like this happen. So the bottom line, would any law devised by man have stopped this, or will it stop it in, in perpetuity? The Bible has already spoken on that question. And here it is, Romans 7, 9 to 10. This is Paul saying, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. See, what he's talking about there is this battle. This battle that goes on in your mind between what you know you ought to do and what you end up doing. What you know you've been taught and what the Holy Spirit says to you, this is how you should feel, this is what you should do, this is how you should act. And then the flesh part of you that says, yeah, but I've been done to. I've been rejected. I've been outcast. I don't belong anywhere. This law that's, that he's talking about, that it just so often brings discouragement and accusation and separation and a feeling of crushing pressure that ultimately results in death, unfortunately, both physical and spiritual death. And here's the thing, though. The enemy stands ready with open arms, ready to scoop up all those disenfranchised and hurt and lonely people who feel like they don't belong anywhere. Maybe those people who have tried off and on to see what Christianity was like. I know I did this when I was younger. I had a couple different experiences where I felt like there just had to be something more to life. And I tried a couple churches here and there only to be rejected by Christians who acted pretty much like I expected them to act. And not being a mature Christian, I said, okay, that's what the church is like. I don't need it. More than that, I'm going to turn away from it, and it's got nothing for me. The devil is there, ready to scoop up those people and whisper to them and say, you belong here. You belong with me. Let's do something powerful together, something that they'll never forget. Let's teach them a lesson. This is how things like this happen. It is that crushing weight of judgment and the law. You think you've never judged somebody like that? Maybe you've never said the words out loud. Maybe you're discerning enough to not speak out loud some of the things you think. How many of us have rolled our eyes when we walk by somebody that's got crazy hair or is dressed differently than we do? Or those people who you just know, I know you're just dressing like that to try and get a rise out of me. Well, it works. You roll your eyes when you walk by. You sneer. You might make a comment under your breath. You might switch sides of the sidewalk to walk past them because you don't want to walk too close to them. You might switch tables at a restaurant or choose a table 
That's far away from these people who are different than us. Let me tell you, church, that's judgment. That's judgment. And although you may think you're being sneaky and you're being subtle when you roll your eyes and go, just see the hair on that one? You may think you're being subtle, but guess what? The enemy highlights every single one of those eye rolls, those shrugs, those sneers, those comments, every single one of those things. The enemy goes, you see, they're judging you. We're not supposed to be the judge. We're supposed to love. That's what our job is. The law so often brings death. The thing that brings life is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus Christ brings life, Romans 8, 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free. Those people who feel those ju- that judgment of those sneers and that rejection and you don't belong to our group, that is a crushing burden for them to bear. And every sneer and every eye roll just heaps weight on to the point where it's a burden they can no longer bear and they will turn anywhere to help relieve that burden. They should be turning to Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit. Spirit of life would set them free, but they don't know it. And even if they do know it because somebody has told them, they don't want any part of it because they've seen what other Christians are like, and I don't want that. But they're going to relieve that burden one way or another. And this is what we see. Jesus teaches us, ultimately, there's only one thing, one law, that's going to deliver us from evil. There's only one, and he's already taught it. It's in Matthew. Jesus is asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, he says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophet." When he says the whole law and the prophets, what he means is the entirety of scriptures as Jesus knew them, right? The Old Testament wasn't, or the New Testament wasn't around at that point. He's referring to what we call the Old Testament. And he's saying all of it boils down to this. Another one of my paraphrases, Jesus is saying, love everyone, no exceptions, Seems easy, right? Love everyone. No exceptions. It all boils down to this. Emily, would you mind coming up and playing a little background? We had a uh, conference here a little while ago. Um, It was a secret church conference, and it was about the power of prayer. Those of you who missed it, Missed something really cool. And they only do it once a year, so watch for it next year when we do it. But there's the pastor that does this. His name is David Platt. And David Platt said something really, really insightful, I thought, during while I was watching this. And what he said is this. He said, prayer 
doesn't change God's plan. Prayer fulfills God's plan. God's plan is not that he would stand up on high and just wave his hands and make everything good and make everyone love one another. His plan is to use you to make that happen. His plan is to use every believer to make that happen. So when we pray, we're not trying to overcome his objection. We're not saying, God, I don't know why you let all this stuff happen. Won't you please put an end to this? And he's standing up there with his arms crossed and his back to you going, you're not praying hard enough. I could, but you don't seem to want it. Prayer is our yes and amen to what God already wants to do. God has already given you a purpose. Jesus Christ himself has given you you your marching orders. Jesus himself, love one another, love the Lord your God, spread the word. That's what he said. And our prayer should be our yes and amen saying we agree and we take that assignment to heart. I'm not going to ask him to do all kinds of new things he's never thought of. Trust me, he's saying, yes, I want to stop violence. Yes, I want every child, every human being on this earth to know how much I love them. Yes, that's what I want. But I want you to do it. I want you to say yes and amen. I accept this assignment. I take it to heart and I will live my life on purpose to make sure that there is no one on this planet, nobody I come in contact with who doesn't know how much Jesus loves them. And it doesn't even have to be speaking the words for someone to know Jesus loves them. Our every thought, our every action, the way we carry ourselves in our lives You don't know who's watching. You don't know who's standing behind you watching. I had an incident yesterday. I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm going to say it now. We ran the Mother's Day 5K. Mother's Day 5K should have been really fun. I love running 5Ks. Gabe says she hates it, but she signs us up for every 5K that's out there. I don't, I've never signed us up. She always does it. We're running this 5K, and I had just started. And, and I'm running along the side of the street, and a man comes up beside me and shoves me into the street. Shoves me into the street, and I, and I pull back into traffic, and I, and I look at him, or out of traffic, and I looked at him, and I, I said, dude, what is your problem? I literally said that. And he looks at me and he curses me and he shoves me out into traffic again a second time. So I said, okay, I, I just leave him behind, right? So, so I just picked up the pace and I sprinted out ahead, running up a hill. Well, about, I don't know, a quarter mile or so later, I didn't know he was even chasing me. He catches me from behind. And he comes up behind me and he kicks my foot out trying to trip me. <coughs> I catch my balance, stand up, only to see a fist coming at my face. 
So he punches me twice. At that moment, my flesh side from 15, 20 years ago, teenager growing up, said, oh, he just made a big mistake. (laughs) Thankfully, thank you, Jesus. The very next thought in my mind was, no, he's got something going on. You didn't do anything to provoke this. He thinks you're somebody else or who knows what the thing is. Pray for him. Don't make this worse. So I stood back and thankfully some people got in the way and kind of end of it, I let him go on and I just walked the rest of it to not risk passing him. Point being, after the race, I'm standing around the race, I'm just, I was just gonna report it to race control and tell them what happened. People start coming up to Gabe and I going, was that you that, that, that we were right there and we saw the whole thing. We saw the whole thing. One person in particular comes up and says, yeah, we saw the whole thing. It's a woman, she's there with her family and they're all standing around. And she goes, I thought you looked, you looked familiar when that happened. We were right behind and we saw the whole thing happen. And I go, you look familiar to me too. And she goes, are you a pastor? And I went, yeah, from, Ju- and from Jubilee is where she knew me from. And she goes, I knew that was you. And she introduces me to her whole family. At that moment, her whole family could have seen one of two things. A pastor beat the snot out of somebody who was asking for it, okay? Or a pastor who chose to do the right thing, who chose to step back. And whether I exhibited that outwardly or not, my heart, my mind went, I'm gonna pray for this man because something is going on his life. I chose to love him in that moment, and people that I never knew were watching it happen. These are the choices that we have every day, because I could have lashed out at him and set an example for those people. A lot of them didn't know I was a pastor, but those who did, oh yeah, Christians, even pastors, are just like everybody else. I wouldn't have been different at all, but the enemy wanted me to in fact, for the next 10, 15 minutes, I'm like, you know what, I should have, I should have, I should have. No, I shouldn't have. Yes, you should have. No, I shouldn't have. But my prayer, my prayer was not, it was God, whatever he's got going on, help him with that. But then my immediate next prayer was, thank you, Jesus, for flooding into my mind and stopping me from acting in the flesh because I agree with what you want my purpose on this earth to be, and that's to love one another and not to act out in the flesh and be like everyone else. And that's where our prayer should be. So here's what we're gonna do. I told you we were gonna do something to tie this message into the STEM school. When I was in Africa two years ago, myself and, and a few guys from the, from the church here went to Mozambique, and they have a habit there in Mozambique, and they... Um, they pray corporately. Okay, in the, in the youth group, they do it all the time. They're used to it. I think they call it battle prayer. Everybody prays together out loud their own prayers. I'm not leading a prayer from the pulpit up here and everybody is going, ah, sounds good, amen. You're praying your own prayer. Whether you wanna lift up the students 
who are affected by that, the families who are affected by that. Maybe you know someone specifically who was affected by what happened over at the STEM school. Maybe you want to pray for the two children who felt like they had no other choice but to do something like this. Maybe you want to lift them up in prayer. Maybe you want to lift your own children or somebody that you know. But let's do this together. And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes, I've got keys playing purposely, and I'm sorry, I'm making Emily play for like half an hour. (laughs) I've got her playing, and here's what I want. I want our voices to raise up and drown out the voices around you, okay? So I don't want these little mumbling prayers. I want everybody out loud together, and we're gonna do this for a couple minutes. Just pray. Lift your agreement, your yes and amen with what God wants to do. Lift that up to him and say, I will, I will be an instrument of you. I will reflect the love of Jesus to those around me, and I will do what I can to stop this from being just the way the world is now. So let's take a couple minutes and let's just do that now and I'll come back up and I'll introduce communion in a few minutes, all right? Father God, we come together in agreement with your plan and your will for us and for this country. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and head up. Father, we say yes and amen to whatever you ask us to do. Whatever you've placed on our heart, we agree today that we will walk out in that plan. We will be a part of your solution to this, not what we think is best, not what the world says is best, but what you have always said is best. Father, use us to make a difference. Use us to make real change in this neighborhood, in our city, in our state, in our country, and in the world. Let it start with each one of our hearts. Father, let our our prayer every single day just be simply yes and amen. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to go into communion now. After communion, be sure and stay here. I've got one final word after communion, but let's do communion together and seal this prayer. This yes and amen that we just hopefully declared to God. Let's seal this in the blood of Jesus. Just as he gave himself to serve us, let us give ourselves back to him to serve in the kingdom of God. So if you're new here at Communion, we we have at the crosses, we have juice, bread, gluten-free crackers. You just dip it in. Gabe and I will be serving up here. We have wine, and we would be happy to serve you there. But let's take this again just to seal in our hearts the commitment to be the reflection of Jesus.
You were waiting at the door Then I let you in Trading your life For my offenses My redemption you carried all the blame I'm giving the curse Of our condition Perfection took our place
The Apostle Paul gives us one last rallying cry, if you will, before we head out into our daily battles. And this is how he ends the whole book of Romans. He ends with this scripture. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus, we can be instruments in the God of peace crushing Satan. And it doesn't say under his feet, does it? It says under your feet. We are the instruments God is going to use. Let that be our cry as we go out into the world today. Amen? Thank you, guys. We love you. Have a great rest of your day.